listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum. Welcome to the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast designed to help you save your relationship, sometimes even before it gets into trouble, and that is particularly true today. Uh, the last little bit, I've been trying to get to your questions, your information, and this actually follows up on last week or la- the last episode where I started talking about the marriage wreckers. And uh, last time we we talked about this interesting wrecker, marriage wrecker, uh, wrecker of expectations and how those expectations expectations get us into trouble. And a lot of people uh, kind of uh, started emailing me and talking about, you know, if I can't have expectations, what do I have? And my response is, how are those working for you? Are they getting you into trouble? Are they moving you forward? And usually our expectations hurt us. If you didn't hear that, you can go back and listen. And I wanted to continue talking about another marriage record, one that I've talked about before. In fact, one that I've talked about many times before, and I just want to bring this into a context of how it wrecks your marriage because I've been talking with people about that over the last uh, week, uh, and just like this recurring theme about where you got into trouble. And people were saying, how did we get here? You know, how did this fall apart? There's a common theme through that, and that is disconnection. Disconnection wrecks marriages like nothing else can. Yes, expectations can cause problems, but here's the thing. People who are connected in connected relationships can have these expectations that get them into trouble. The disconnection, though, is one that begins to eat away at the very foundations of your relationship and begins to cause more and more damage the longer it goes. So let's talk about this in, in a couple of ways, that kind of a, some metaphors. First, I want you to think of disconnection as a drift in the relationship, kind of a drift apart. If you think about it, you know, if you're, let's say you're maybe at the beach and you're on rafts and you're holding hands with this person that you're close to on the raft, but then you let go of your, the hands and you begin to drift further and further apart. And for a while, you might even be able to have a conversation with each other. And, and see each other, but eventually, you know, the drift is going to take you further and further apart until you can't communicate with each other. You can't tell each other what's going on. You can't tell each other if you're in trouble. And so disconnection is kind of a drift apart where you stop having ways of feedback into the relationship. So the one way to understand disconnection is as a, a level of drift. Connection, though, is staying together, which keeps you safe. But also keeps you you kind of just close, get feeling. And this is based in the wiring of humans. We humans have a need for connection that surpasses any other animal as far as we know. If you think about how long we keep our kids around us, right? The kids are born pretty much helpless. And that's kind of unique in much of the rest of uh, the world, of other creatures, that they don't need as much, you know, even uh, in, in primate world, the, the babies are much more capable, much more quickly of taking care of themselves than humans. Humans are pretty helpless for a long time, for quite a few years. And then they sometimes even continue to act helpless for a lot more years as we're trying to get them into adulthood and get them launched. And so we spend a lot of time, sometimes 18 or more years trying to get our kids going into adulthood. That's a long-range time for connection. 
which shows us how desperate we humans are for that level of connection. You don't see uh, humans just kind of spending a couple of years with the family and then drifting off and setting up their own pride or their, you know, even roaming by themselves. We stay in connection with each other. And that need for connection also surpasses other animals, other creatures in a unique way with our language capacity. Because of how we can share that language, we have other ways of connecting, and because of that, we have other needs for those levels of connection. So the level of connection is so deeply built into our brains that when there is disconnection, it's particularly painful. So think about, uh, for a minute, kind of using this, this idea I've used many times as the connection being kind of the circulation, the lifeblood of the relationship. It keeps the rest of the relationship nurtured and oxygenated, uh, able to stay conscious, even if you use that as an idea. So it's, as long as it's circulating, as long as we keep it going, everything's great. The problem is there are lots of ways where that circulation, that lifeblood can get disrupted. And when it's disrupted we have major problems. So now I'm going to change metaphors for a minute. We're going to come back to the circulation one in a minute, but I want to add another one that I've talked about many times just so you have this on, kind of on your radar of why disconnection is a marriage wrecker. And that is the idea that we also uh, often hit the pause button in marriage. Here is the most important relationship that most people rate in life that they're going to have, right? You're promising to be with this person for the rest of your life when you get married. As far as I can tell, everybody that gets married intends on this being the relationship. Even if it's their second or third marriage, they keep with the same idea that this is the one. This is the one that's going to take them to the end of their life. And yet somewhere along the way, sometimes that falls apart. Many times it falls apart. And part of the reason that is, is because people tend to forget about keeping things connected because they hit the pause button. So let's talk about this pause button. It comes up many ways in life. And, and we, we hit it thinking we're going to come back to it. I think people do it for the best of intentions. So for instance, let's say that along the way you decide to have kids. And so you hit the pause button on your relationship, on your marital relationship, to focus your energy on the kids. It's well-intentioned because we want to have our kids grow up to be healthy and strong, and we're, we go, okay, we'll, we'll pause us, right? We, we'll stop kind of relating as much as we have, and, and we stop giving the attention to each other. We're going to give it to these kids, and, and then once they're gone, we'll come back to us. Or, or maybe it's something that's not even kids. Maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to go to grad school or, uh, you know, I'm going to go to med school or, or law school or get my MBA or I'm going to work my way through the ranks of this company or I'm going to build this startup or, uh, you know, something else comes in professionally in our work life. And we go, uh, pause, we'll come back to that. It's not the pause button that has to last 18 years while you're getting a kid launched. It may be a much more short-term idea that you just hit the pause, do what has to be done, and come back and unpause. Along the way, something happens. The same can happen when you say, hey, you know, I've got this hobby. I've seen this many times in these very intense hobbies uh, where they take a lot of time, a lot of training, a lot of whatever. 
And people go, you know, once I get to this place, once I get this belt in a martial art or this number of wins in, in my marathons or, or 100 milers or golf score down or whatever it is, and, and it can be something that's an exciting goal to have. And you say, I'll, we'll come back to this. Or I'm going to get all of those mountains in, right? I'm going to climb all the mountains and, and then we'll come back to us and unpause. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you say, you know, while we're young, we're going to go have fun with our friends and then, then we'll calm down and, and settle down and come back to us. Or maybe something else that causes the pause button. But the pause button is not meant to be destructive. And when people hit it, they're like, you know, we'll come back to us. We'll just pause our relationship. Failing to notice one thing about human relationships. There is no pause. You can't pause a relationship. They're doing one of two things. They are either growing or receding. There is no pause. So what happens is either we're building things, we're continuing. Let's say you just stay at the same kind of level of connection, but over time you get to know each other better and you do more things together. And so the connection is actually deeper. You have history that's backing you up now. So even if you maintain the same amount of energy in a relationship that you've had for a while, you can continue to grow that relationship. The more time you spend together, the more history you've built, the more common knowledge you have, the more you understand each other, and the more you understand the relating back and forth. So it continues to grow even if you're not adding more energy to it. But when you remove energy, it begins to disconnect. It begins to recede. And the same thing happens in other relationships. It's not just marriage. If you've got a very close friend and you do lots of things together and then over time you stop doing so much together and over time you stop doing things together at all and over time you, you stop letting each other know and slowly you notice that you don't have the same connection. You don't have them in your same place in your mind and in, in, in your connection point. And so it recedes. Well, the same thing happens in a relationship, in, in a marriage relationship. Even if you're in the same house, sharing the same bed, and you know, maybe even eating meals together, but you're not putting the time in it because you're putting the energy elsewhere. You've now added the circulation elsewhere to another relationship, to the kids, to the work, to uh, professional development, to the hobby, to the friends, somewhere else. And it's not going into the relationship. And what you don't notice is the more you divert that, the more that relationship begins to falter, the more it begins to be starved of that circulation of connection. So when we hit pause, it's going to recede. I don't know how many times people have come to my office, very nice people, wonderful people who have raised great kids or done great career things or changed the world in many ways. And when they come back together and go, okay, unpause, they look at each other as strangers and not just strangers, but with some bitterness to it, because there's another thing that you need to understand about connection. When there's something or someone that's very important to you, and that someone is no longer in such proximity to you, such closeness to you, it registers in the pain, in the brain as pain. <laughs> the brain senses that disconnection as actually physical pain. So when people talk about their heartbreak or you know they, that they just feel so dead inside or they feel pain in their gut or, or some other way of expressing it physically, that's what they're expressing is their brain is going, this hurts. 
the disconnection that we have, because I know what we could have and I know what we did have, this hurts. So we have this natural uh, place where the disconnection registers in our brain as pain. So what do you do when something is hurting you? If you're kind of a normal person, you move away from whatever's hurting you. (laughs) Now, I've spent enough time in jiu-jitsu to know that there are some people who just sit there and tolerate the pain way too long instead of trying to get away from it and, and cause some problems sometimes. But what I know is for most of us, the wiring is there for us to go, oh, that hurts. Let me get away. If you hold your fingers too close to a flame, you'll go, well, that hurts. Let me pull away. That's our normal response. Are there some abnormal responses out there? Sure. But our normal response is to try to get away from the pain, get get away from the source of it, which is the reason that you watch many people when they're in a disconnected relationship, disconnect it further because they're trying to remove themselves from what's causing the pain. So ironically, a relationship that they want that has some disconnection, they pull away further, leading to another level of disconnection, a cycle of disconnection that happens. We get into a spiral of disconnection if we're allowing it to go on automatic. It spirals further and further because if you say, you know, you're pulling away from me, so I'm going to have to pull away because that hurts too much. And the other person says, well, that hurts too much, so I'm pulling away further. And, And you watch them go back and forth, pulling away further and further as long as the process goes on automatic. So let me circle back around to that whole metaphor of the um, circulation, the lifeblood of the relationship. Since I've been doing jujitsu, that has become a much more real metaphor for me because there are a couple of ways that you end a fight in jujitsu. Really, only a couple. One is you twist some limb or pull some limb in some way that it's not meant to go. So an arm lock, for instance, can put pressure on an elbow or another move could put it on a shoulder or a knee or an ankle or a toe or a wrist or a finger or a neck or some other part of your body that's getting moved in a way it's not supposed to. That's one way. The other is a blood choke. It's, it's kind of a misnomer, but it's a blood choke. Many people think that when somebody is grabbing someone in, in jiu-jitsu around the throat, they're actually trying to cut off their air. They're not. Usually when somebody has you in a choke in jiu-jitsu, you can breathe just fine. If they've got it positioned correctly, you can breathe just fine. But what they do, so let's just take one, one instance of this. We call it the rear naked choke. In the rear naked choke, somebody is behind you, and they've wrapped their arm around your neck so that the crook of their elbow is just underneath your chin. So you can breathe because that goes right down the middle of your neck. But on each side of your neck, you have these arteries, the carotid arteries. And those arteries are feeding blood to your brain. And your brain needs lots of oxygen to keep going. In fact, when your brain doesn't feel like it's got enough oxygen, it puts you to sleep. You knock out as a way of getting your head down lower so that it can get better circulation. So in jiu-jitsu, we kind of take advantage of that. You wrap somebody's neck, you squeeze on the sides of their neck, and you don't have to do it very hard, and you can put them to sleep. So what I've learned over time is how subtle it takes to put somebody to sleep. In this case, how little it takes to put a relationship to sleep. 
because I don't have to completely shut off someone's blood supply. In fact, what I realized is sometimes, you know, if I'm doing that rear naked choke and I grab it really tight, they immediately tap. But the other day I was doing a little more subtle where it doesn't really close off. It was another move and I had them in, in a choke, but they didn't even realize I was choking them. And so they were struggling with me a little bit, trying to uh, get out of the hold I had them in. They just didn't realize that the hold I had them in was actually choking them because I probably was cutting down the circulation in their brain by, I don't know, 30, 40%, something like that. Not a huge amount. So as they were struggling, I kept holding on. As they were struggling, I kept holding on. Now, they weren't struggling against my choke. They were actually struggling to get out from under me. And I kept holding on. And suddenly, he started slapping me really hard because he realized he was about to go to sleep. He said the room got really dark, and I I could hear the, the sounds kind of disappearing. And he said, I had no idea you even had me. I didn't even know what it was. So if he had not responded... He would have taken a nap. (laughs) He would have been knocked unconscious. And here's the thing. When we do a choke in jiu-jitsu, it's basically takes about six or seven seconds of really cutting off that circulation for somebody to go to sleep, depending on how it would have taken longer for me with that slight choke. But let's call it six or seven seconds. So if you immediately let go, they immediately wake up. The circulation is restored. They come back to life. If you hold it for a few seconds, they'll stay asleep for a few seconds. Now, there is a maximum to that. Let's say that somebody holds on to somebody for, let's say, 15 seconds. Well, that begins to cause brain damage because the brain is starved for oxygen. Let's say they hold on to about 30 seconds. That's probably going to kill the person. It doesn't take that long of being completely deprived of oxygen for the brain to give out. So... Part of what's happening in that choke is the longer the disconnection has been there, the more dangerous it is for the relationship. But let's say that it hasn't been a full disconnection. Maybe there's some level of connection that's continued. Maybe you've continued to cooperate around the kids or to go on vacation together or you know, have sex together or lots of other things that can create some level of connection. And what it means is there's a kind of this constant discomfort with the with the lack of connection, with not enough connection, but it's not so much that you've abandoned it completely or it's put it to sleep. It's just kind of semi-conscious at this point. It can take a while for that to dial in and really cause damage. Eventually it does, though. And so part of what we're looking at is it's not like it's total disconnection or total connection. There are partial points of disconnection and partial ruptures in the connection level. It can cause damage, can cause pain, can cause struggle in that process. And in that process, we have to make some choices. Once you're aware of this, and that's why we're talking about this as a, as a marriage record today, I want you to be very clear about this. Once you're clear that one of the big issues that kills a relationship is that disconnection, then you know exactly what needs to happen in order to work the other way. Assuming it hasn't been choked so long that it's completely dead, which you would also feel because it would be dead for you too. So let's say there's still some life in there somewhere if you could just restore the circulation. That's what we have to do. We have to restore the connection to bring it back to life. Now, what I've watched over my career is sometimes you look at the relationship and you're like, wow, that thing is gone. 
And then you watch somebody begin to work on the connection a little bit. And it comes back to life in ways that are often surprising because it's like when you knock someone out in jujitsu, if you let go and let the oxygen come back, they, they come back to life and sometimes aren't even aware of what's happened. They didn't even know that they had been knocked out at that point. It's very interesting to watch. So part of what we have to do is restore that connection as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible. Now, there are a couple of things you need to know about that. One is that you have to make a conscious choice to do that because remember, you're disrupting that spiral of disconnection because your natural response when somebody disconnects from you is to disconnect from them and they disconnect from you and you disconnect from them and wider and wider it goes. So you have to make a conscious choice to step back into that place. Even if you know it's going to hurt some, you've got to step back in and make a conscious choice to begin connecting again. It doesn't require both people to make the conscious choice, but somebody has to, and here you are. So this is your choice to make that decision to step back into that. Now, understand it may require some sustained effort to revive this. So let's go kind of change the metaphor a little bit. Let's say somebody's heart stops. Well, many times people stop doing CPR after just a few seconds, because their arms get tired. I mean, this has been shown to be true on survival scenes. Sometimes people will give up because they're worn out. They give up on the CPR before it has a chance to take effect, before it has a chance to restore the circulation to the brain to wake everything back up. So part of this process is to commit to that sustained effort because you know it's going to take a while to revive it. And let me tell you what you're going to go through. One thing is you're going to be really tired because you're not getting that on. If you're doing some exercise, you know, your, your body is trying to keep up with the circulation, right? It's trying to give you extra oxygen. The same thing. You're trying to revive the relationship and you get tired because you're not getting some back, right? And a lot of times I watch people who are getting close to restoring a relationship and they just walk away and give up because they weren't getting the connection back, They decided they weren't willing to put in the effort. So I'm going to tell you on the front side, it's going to be a tiring effort if you do that. But that's part of restoring the circulation. It's part of that sustained effort to keep it going. The second thing to be aware of is it's going to be painful. But guess what? The disconnection is painful too. And people often say, you know, I'm not going to work on this anymore because it's just too painful. I'm just going to give up. And my response is, do you think it's going to be less painful when you walk away. More than that, do you think it's going to be less painful when you look back and go, wow, maybe I should have continued this effort? Because then not only do you have the pain that you're dealing with of healing the disconnection, but you have the pain of going, maybe I didn't do enough. And I never want people to get to that place. I never want people to walk away going, what could I have done if I'd stuck with it? So just know on the front side, it's going to be tiring. It can be painful. And it can be frustrating. That's a typical response when you're not getting the connection you want. You know, think about how you might have tried to get somebody's attention. Let's say you're trying to get your parents' attention when you were a kid and you couldn't get it. Wasn't that frustrating? Or maybe you need some help at work with somebody and you can't get their attention. Wasn't that frustrating? That's our natural response to feeling like we're not getting what we need to get back and we're to feeling like the person is not as invested as we are in that. 
we often can feel frustrated and that the person is devaluing that. And that would be accurate because at that point, they're in pain, trying to get away from the pain, not sure what can happen if it goes back. And by the way, it's probably not the first time you've tried to get back into connection with each other. You just didn't know the details. So all of this plays into the fact that if you decide to step into this, you are going to feel that, the tiring piece of that, the painful part of that, the frustration of that, the feeling like you're being devalued and it's not you being devalued. It's the hope of restoration that feels like it's at risk. So know that on the front side so that when it happens, you can go, oh, okay, that's what he was talking about. That's what Lee meant. I'm tired. Yeah, that's part of what I should expect. I feel some pain here. It's tough. Yep, that's what he said. It's frustrating. Yep, that's what he said. And I am going to keep moving through that. This is why I consider this to be courageous work because you're going against our natural inclination to get away from the painful stuff, to give up on things when it's not getting you what you want, to not stay in a frustrated situation. So you have to do that in order to get to a different place. Just know that that's what's coming your way. Just understand that and don't let it get in your way. Now, there are some ways to understand how to build this connection and how to understand the disconnection. I've talked about the three different ways of connection and laid them out in detail in my book, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps, which you can find by going to savethemarriage.com slash book. That's savethemarriage.com slash book. That's B-O-O-K. Uh, so go there if you want to grab that book. But if you want some very clear help in how you need to understand the relationship in order for it to be in a sustainable relationship, in order for it to have a long-term way of surviving, of getting to the place, of getting it where you both want it to be, not just where one of you wants it, but where both of you are committed to that, that's the Save the Marriage system. And you can find that at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. That will help you restore uh, the circulation in the relationship to understand what the relationship could and should be and how to move it in that direction. So you can find the system at savethemarriage.com and you can find the book at savethemarriage.com slash book. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.